This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the week that has passed. Time just passes, whether we want it or not. And now we are here this morning. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will engage our hearts and our minds. Give us the strength to engage with your word. And that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand. Be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the English rock band Pink Floyd, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, they sang these words in 1973. You are young and life is long and there's time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run, you've missed the starting gun. And you run and run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking and racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you are older and shorter of breath and one day closer to death. Well, these are the lyrics from the famous song of the 70s called Time. Friends, have you been keeping watch over your time? Have you been keeping watch over your time? Are you still feeling young, being bored? Perhaps you think you have time to kill? Or perhaps these words resonate or even haunt you as you begin to wonder, where did the last 10 years go? It just disappeared before you know it. You have been so busy in life that the years just slips behind you without you knowing. But perhaps even if you do realize time is passing and you try your very best to run after the sun. You run and run, but will it make a difference? Will not the sun run even faster than you and disappears and then pops up behind you and says, Surprise! He looks as fresh as ever, but you are one day older. And it repeats itself again and again. And you try your very best to run faster than the sun, but you can never outrun the sun. He always looks as fresh as ever. But not you. Not me. Perhaps a day, friends, maybe a week, a month, a year, maybe 10 years, maybe 20, 30, 40, maybe 45 years will pass in a moment. Because after all, that's how many years the years have passed since this song became famous in the 70s. You know, when Time was written by this man called Roger Waters, it was sung by his, his, his band, Rock, the Pink Floyd. They amazed the world because him at 20-something amazed people to have such insights of time. But guess what? 45 years has passed. Some of the band members have passed. The millions who have followed them some too have passed. The song stays, but the people have not. Friends, have you been keeping watch over your time? Has your contemplation about time, if you have done them, make you any wiser? Or has made your life any more fruitful? Friends, welcome back to Ecclesiastes. We are now in chapter 3. If you have been with us for over the last two weeks, you will have been following the teacher of Ecclesiastes. He has been calling us to follow me, follow me. And he did litmus tests about everything under the sun. He litmus tests on wisdom and knowledge. He went to the Ivy League of the ancient world. 
He went there, he found no wisdom. He did his litmus test on folly. He went to the local comedy house. He puts uh, himself into the local pubs and get himself drunk. He enjoyed pleasures. He seeks after women. He tested his creativity. He became the great architect of all the ancient architecture. He found no meaning. He went to business. He accumulated lots and lots under his belt. And still, he couldn't find meaning. He was frustrated that death puts an end to all that he has accumulated, all that you and I will accumulate in our time. And so today he decides to contemplate on the very thing that captures all things in life. He decides to contemplate on time itself. And so the teacher decides to think about time and he decided and think about it and he crafted this very beautiful poem about time and is sealed in today's passage. Let me read that portion for us again. A time for everything. There is a time for everything. A season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to moan, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, a time to give up. A time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 is one of the most beautiful poetry about time. People even have quoted them without knowing no frustrated spouse says to her husband, there's a time to keep quiet, a time to speak, come on. You have a constructor who tells the potential client, a time to tear down, a time to build. You have a man who looks at this dubious guy next to his daughter and says, a time to embrace, a time to keep your hands off my daughter. We have used this uh, poetry in all places, at weddings, you have heard of them perhaps, funerals, even songs have sung using this poetic passage about a well-lived life. But if we have been following the teacher's frustrations about Hebel or the vanity of life, the last two weeks we have been thinking with him, then perhaps as we look at this passage, we start to wonder if he's describing the beauty of life or the harshness of life. Perhaps it's closer to the later part. But as he looks around, there's this underlying frustration that he has when he looks at life. He's making observation how burdensome life can be if you have the clock ticking all the time. It's just ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking. Now look at look at verse one with me as we contemplate a little bit on this poem. It says that there is a time for Everything, in fact, to put it another way, there's a season for everything. Everything falls in place under their respective seasons. Now, if for a moment, you and me, we, we think about life, we, we are making decisions all the time, isn't it? That we are always making decisions. We almost feel that we are the masters of our time. We, we decide what we study, we work really hard, we decide what work we do. Perhaps we decide the spouse that we get married to. 
We decide the house, the place we stay. We decide whether we have what we have for breakfast, lunch, dinner. We decide whether this morning we'll come to church or not. And, and you, you guys decided yourself to come this morning. You, you make the decisions. And, and for some time, we may think that we, on, on a micro level, we think that we are in charge of time. In charge of our time, at least. Uh, maybe our kids' time. But well, on a macro level... What a teacher wants to think about today in his poetry of time is that actually we are not in control of our lives. We live lives that are actually confined by time. We're confined by seasons. Now as we read on verse 2 to 8, look at it for a moment. You see this Recurring theme that goes a time to, 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 and goes on. It, it almost sounds romantic. You think about life. You put a nice music, you have pictures of you going through your life. Until we realize that actually time is just rolling on and we actually cannot stop time from passing. As time rolls, we are not able to hold on to anything permanently. As you hold on to it, the next season comes and you hold on to something. And the next season comes and the next season comes. And we are actually feeling as much as we possibly can while time passes us. So we try to fill it in with work. We try to fill it in with, with relationship. We try to fill it in with Netflix. We try to fill it in with games. We try to fill it with all kinds of things. But, but time is just passing on and we are pouring as fast as we can to fill it. But time, a time, a time, it just moves on. Now, as we look at verse 2, the teacher speaks of how we actually, you and me, and him, we really live in the confinement of two events that we have no control of. Our birth and our death. Well, there's everything else that happens in our lives, but they all fall within the boundary of our start and our end. And the clock is ticking and we, we go through the seasons of our life. It's just like the seed. See, a seed. A seed doesn't choose when to fall into the ground and when it gets uprooted, it gets done. And so we don't really get to have that much choice of when we are born and when we, are, when we die. So geographically, you don't get to choose which country you're born in. And historically, we don't get to choose which generation we are being born because there are countless generations before us. And God willing, after our time, there will be countless generations after that. So we think we are choosing stuff, but actually time passes and we are fit into that limitation that we have. Now as we imagine, just imagine me when we think about seasons. You know, Singapore, we think of seasons, we think of rain and no rain, right? umbrella and no umbrella. But, but imagine, just, just get out of Singapore a little bit where Somewhere there are four seasons that's a bit more stuck. Uh, just don't go to Melbourne because four seasons happen on one, one day. Uh, but go to somewhere where the four seasons comes and, and you change with it. You know, during the spring, summer, autumn, winter, you, you don't really rake leaves if you're in four seasons during winter. It's all covered up. You don't really plant a seed when the ground in summer is so hard and you could barely dig a spade in there. You throw it in during spring, you harvest when it's time, perhaps in summer. Or perhaps, if you think of uh, someone in, in four seasons and they have wardrobes, they can choose 
we can choose like what color we like to wear, what kind of design we like to wear, what kind of brand we, we can afford. What, and, and we make a big deal on news when, when a celebrity wears the same dress as the other one, which costs a few hundred thousand dollars. And, and people get all fussed up about the choices. But really, if you're in four seasons, your dressings follows the season. You don't wear summer fur clothes on a 40 degree summer. You don't wear a singlet when it's minus 30 degrees in winter. No, I speak this from experience. I remember a few years ago, I was, I was in Canada studying, and I was staying in this uh, three-story building. It well heated up. It was great. I was at the right, third floor, um, left wing of it. And the laundry room is at basement at the entrance. So one day in winter, I was so comfortable. I was wearing my singlet and my kind of sports pants or shorts, I can't remember. Went there in black. Went there, put all my laundry into the, to, to the washing machine. I sit there waiting. And then the... The fire alarm rang that there was fire. I was like, gosh, I tried to run out from basement trying to hit there, but I was pushed out by securities into minus 10 degrees. There was not snow because it's still cold to snow. Everything. I was standing there and, and it was freezing and I was looking at everyone else and waiting for the fire engine and brigade to come. I was like, when are they coming? I said, if you preach hell to me, I might smile a little bit at this point because I was so cold. Now, I couldn't have lasted much longer if I try, even at my best, to wear summer during winter. But that's what we think we can do. But the hard truth the teacher recognizes as he contemplates about life is that we live within the boundary of the seasons of life. Whether dent, whatever dent or mark we have made in this world, they pass on. The next generation comes, and the next generation We're just one cycle of the generations before and after us. And that's why he cries out later on in verse 9. He says this, What do workers gain from all their toil? Dear friends, perhaps, perhaps, just perhaps this morning, it's worth a little bit of your time and my time to just pause and contemplate about life, the life we've lived, the life we still have to live to contemplate about the seasons that we have experienced or will have to face in time to come. A time that we were a child, a teenager, adult, as we grow older. A time where great things happen in life. A time where great regrets are sealed in our time. Perhaps we should not be too quick to move on in our fast-paced world. Take a moment, look at your season at this time. Is there laughter? Are there tears? What is happening? Don't let the TV, the Netflix, the games just whiz you off without thinking about life. Perhaps we need to do ourselves a favor today or this week or this season in Ecclesiastes to pause from our busyness and activities. Just pause for a moment. Be with the teacher for a while. Think about your time. Think about your life. Contemplate what meaning is there in all your toils, in all that you're experiencing right now. Do yourself a favor. Do myself a favor. Just pause. Pause in this period of time. Just think and contemplate for a while. Don't let our busyness rush us off without hearing the clock ticking. Because here it is. The starting gun has been shot decades ago when you and I were born. 
It was long ago. It has really shot itself long ago. And the day will come where we'll be fitted into that cold, hard box. Perhaps be burned or perhaps have 10 or 30 years before the government digs us up. But it really doesn't matter. No, by now, perhaps you think, Andrew, I'm feeling the frustration. Uh, I, I can't go any lower. Like, are you going to bring us any lower? I think this is a good time if you have felt the frustration that the teacher is experiencing extensively in Ecclesiastes, then perhaps this is the time that we can humbly ask a question. Is there any help in this hable of life, that is in this vanity of vaporous life that you and I are living? Now, is there any help to prevent us from living and dying unsatisfied and without purpose? No, if you feel the frustration, which is what the author wants to bring as, as you journey with him, he clears this, is to feel the frustration so that when he asks the question, you want to hear it. That if we are humble enough to ask for help outside of us, then perhaps we are somewhat ready to join the teacher in the rest of today's passage. Because he has this much needed contemplation on time with God in view. On time. We've got in view. If you're ready for a breath of fresh air, you know, it's been stifling and stuffy thinking about that box that you're in, join us, join me, as we open up the window with the teacher as he looks on to verse 9 to verse 15. So if you're a Bible, keep it open. If not, it might be up there. It might be small for those whose eyesight have passed faster than you. So let me read this. If it's too small, look at your Bible. Verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on human race. He has made everything beautiful in His time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Now, one of the greatest frustrations being a human being or as a human is this. We always want to live outside of our boundaries. When you have a boundary, you want to live outside. A child wants to live outside the control of the parents. There's something out there nice. It looks good. A student wants to live outside the boundary of the school. A prisoner wants to live outside the boundary of his cell. Humans, you and I, we want to live outside the boundary of time. Think for a moment, is that true? Is that true? No, verse 9 to 11 tells us, there is this burden laid on humans, on you and me by God. We cannot get out of the boundary of time, but yet we know there's just something beyond us, beyond our birth, beyond our death. No, verse 11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You know, the word that's translated as eternity uh, in, in Hebrew, olam, I think, is describing what God has placed in human hearts. No, it has been translated in most of the Bibles, as eternity, some translate that as a sense of the past and the future. 
Whatever is translated, the point is that God has placed in us, human, in you, in me, something that causes us to just look always beyond our life. That we are looking beyond what is under the sun. There's something that we call forever or eternity. So here's one, the first acknowledgement, if we have been following with the teacher, uh, that he wants us to acknowledge is, first of all, that we as human, even though we live within time, we have the concept of eternity. We have the concept of eternity that frustrates us. Just listen to circular songs, not Christian songs, circular songs, and you find this word everywhere. No Christian um, circular songs, Richard Marx, I don't know it's your time, now and forever. No Bob Dylan or Ross Stewart, forever young. It's not young at all, but forever young. No, uh, the air supply, I can wait forever. If you're into Chinese songs, there are plenty of songs. If you're into Tamil songs, there are plenty of songs that talk about eternity. No, or movies that talk about time travel, spirits, ghosts, afterlife. No poetry, history, architecture, that plans for the future, for your pyramids. We are not willing to die. The frustration is because we are not willing to die because something in us tells us that this is not all there is. Now, there are two ways when this frustration comes in that we can re- respond. One way is to deny this is nonsense and the other is to acknowledge it and search for meaning. Now, an atheist wants denying Eternity, and this is what he says. He says, "Look, death is natural. It's human's reaction that's not." He says, "Death is natural. It's human reaction that's not." I think that's sorely mistaken. The reason why we humans are reacting this way is because death is not natural. The reason why we are frustrated, we're struggling with things, is because death is not natural. Just like the teacher looks at it and says, "What is this?" It frustrates him because there is some eternity in him. And he can't get out of it. It's the same in our world. For you and for me. We are built with eternity in our hearts, but we are not built with the capacity to understand it. Now, of course, we can stop right now if we want to follow the, the, the track of the atheists and say, well, I don't care. And then the rest of today's passage makes no sense to you. But if you pause and say, perhaps that's right. Perhaps there is eternity in me that is making me frustrated. When I look at death, I try to calm myself when death comes. I'm trying to convince myself it's normal. I try hard. If for a moment you think, perhaps that's right, then follow along with the, with the teacher because the rest, he has more to say of us. Because if you choose the teacher's route to acknowledge there's eternity and there is God, then here comes the beauty and the amazing relief when you start to contemplate about time rightly. In our frustrations, in our burdens of living within time, we start to recognize, well, we are built to be aware of eternity. We, We do not have the capacity to know it. And then we come to this second acknowledgement as a human being. We need to acknowledge there is a God. First acknowledgement, recognize there is eternity that we are struggling with. The second is to recognize there is a God who is outside of time and who knows and deals in eternity. Now, as a writer once puts it this way, he says, recognizing our lack of control is actually the very thing that can give us hope. Recognizing our limitation is the very comfort that can give us 
hope because we will look elsewhere, outside of ourselves. Because until you recognize our limitation, until you recognize there is a limitation in you and me, that God is in control, we will stay frustrated. Try having without God and try convincing ourselves. We will not convince ourselves very well unless we go to Netflix and entertain ourselves out of it. Now, it's only by humbly acknowledging God, recognizing who we are, He's eternal, we are small, that we will start to enjoy the seasons of life for what they are made to be. As long as we ignore God and we think we are capable to make meaning of our lives, we will find frustration. Now, this week I was reading... Some of you know I'm into Narnia now with my kids, so reading Narnias every night. And there was this scene this week that we read where there's this little girl by the name Lucy. She saw this great lion called Aslan. It's uh, it's meant to point to Jesus. He hasn't seen Aslan for a while, for a long time. And when when she finally saw him again, she exclaimed this. And let me read to you the conversation. Aslan! said Lucy, you're, you're, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Well, not because you are. I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. You know, all of us, even Christians, as we grow in maturity from observing our world, our lives, our limitation. As we mature as a Christian, as a human being, we start to realize more and more how big God is and how small we are. When when we are not mature, when we are thinking, we always think God is really small and we are really big, but it changes when we start to recognize our limitation and God becomes bigger. He's never bigger than He was before, but we start to realize. And it's when realizing that He's bigger and we are smaller that we start to put things in our seasons in its place. It's acknowledging God's place and knowing our place that we will learn to enjoy and give thanks for everything in life. Whether it's the food you eat today, the drinks, whether it's your toy or even your tears and your pains, which we sometimes do not understand because we just can't go beyond them. We can possibly be happy and do good while we live when we humbly acknowledge our very life It's a gift from God. It's only when we put things in perspective that we start to enjoy what is meant to be. We don't look for eternal promises in food, drinks, relationships, our work, our achievements. You know, they are great gifts, but they are terrible masters. Put it this way, when you start to ask for eternal rewards from your food and drinks and relationships and everything, they're going to make you a terrible person. You're going to be miserable. On the other hand, when we start to look to God and see all that we have are gifts, they don't have to bear a burden that they are not meant to bear. And so we learn to enjoy the things for what they are. And they are not God's. And neither are we. So the first acknowledgement that we have is to recognize we are made with awareness of eternity, but we are not able to understand in our limitation. And the second, which it leads to, is our acknowledgement that God is the one who made everything. He's the one in eternity, and He's the one who knows everything. He makes everything beautiful. Now, by now, if you're still with me, journeying through time, 
You may ask this question, but wait a minute. I noticed this word in verse 11. God made everything beautiful. I don't think so. Come on, look around. Suffering, pain, death, the breaking down, the weeping, the tears, the hatred, the war, the mourning. Surely not everything is beautiful. There are some mistakes here. Well, the truth is that we, by the time if we have this, the first two acknowledgements, by now we should realize that what good can come out of all these painful seasons is not within our control, in our limitation. We do not always understand why certain desires that you have are not given to you, what longings and prayers that you cried out are not given to you. Perhaps the darkness that you experience, perhaps some of us are in winter time in our seasons where we struggle with pain and challenges. Why are we in there? Well, perhaps we struggle with all this, but we do not know what they all meant. But that's true in our limitation. Because we are living in our limitation. But in our limitation, while we cannot see from God's perspective, there's one thing we do know. Because God is in eternity, nothing gets swept under time. Whatever happens, it will always be pulled out. Look at verse 15. God will call the past to account. Whatever time has covered under it in the dust of carpet of time, God just shakes them off and they get pulled back when God says it's time to pull back. Are you moving into eternity with God in this passage? No, dear friends, there's nothing in time that can be ever lost to God who knows eternity. In fact, as we recognize God's greatness in eternity and, and our smallness in our time, Perhaps we are ready to contemplate that really difficult question that everyone grumbles about. If God is good, if God is real, how can evil happen? Or worse, how can wickedness get away? How can suffering happen? You know, everyone likes to ask this question when it comes to God as if we are the big one and God is the small one. He has to answer to us. But listen to how the author writes and explains his thoughts on this verse 16 to 17. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. You know, as the teacher looks at the events under the sun, he, he faced the same frustrations that you and I, we face. In the seat of justice, there are wickedness. And to that, the teacher can only acknowledge God once more. He said this, look at verse 17. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Because surely God who knows eternity will set a time to bring all things into judgment. Nothing in time is ever lost to a God who is in eternity. It gets lost in our time. We wonder what it means. But never for God. Because He pulls them back when He, he, when he decides to. And it is out of our control. No, And that's great... You know, when we think about God and eternity, there are two things that can happen. There's great comfort and there's great fear. There's great comfort because this is what happens. As humans, we always want justice. I don't know about you. We, we want justice unless we are the perpetrator, right? We, we want justice. And when we see justice not being done, we, we struggle. But here's the point. That what man fails to bring justice to, the writer says, when he looks at God who is in eternity, he will always bring justice back. There's great comfort if you are suffering. But there's great fear. 
Because no matter what we have done in our lives, we think that we have swept it under the carpet of time. Things we have thought wrongly, the things we have said wrongly, the things we have dealt wrongly, the things we have desired wrongly, all the evil wickedness that we have, and we have swept it under time and no one remembers anymore. God does. At the right time, He pulls everything out and is still open uh, to everyone. And so this is where the writer declares in the end. He says, verse 18, As for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like animals. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. And then he gave this really uh, famous quote, which is taken from Genesis 3.19, which we hear all the time at funerals. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all returns. Now dear friends, you have been journeying with me quite a fair bit, or with the teacher, thinking really hard on time or eternity. It's kind of a warp in our normal thinking, and it takes a lot of energy to think about it. But here, when we are humble enough to recognize that we are not a God of our lives, just pause and think that we are not God of our lives. But God is. And God will bring into account everything. We'll start to realize that God has been testing us. Or perhaps better translated, God has been bringing to light what is inside you, what is inside me. You know what? We are really mortals. In all our greatness of talking about eternity and forever, we are actually mortals just like animals. We are no different. Without God, you and I, we are going to die the same way as animals does. We rot the same way as they. And when the breath in us or the spirit leaves, there's nothing else. Actually, that's what we are. And it's probably good for us to recognize that. Without God, this is what we are, even though we speak louder than any other animals in the world. Now, dear friends, the best thing a person can do under the sun, says the teacher, is to recognize the Lord that we are given, to enjoy the food, the drinks, the work, to acknowledge that all these things that we have, the seasons we have, are gifts from God. And to know that there are things beyond us that God, in His time, will bring it to light. And so this is how today's passage ends. You know, the last verse, verse 22, he repeats what he has been saying from verse 12 and 13. He says this, there's actually nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. And this is the gift of God. So here are the cons- considerations for us as we think about Ecclesiastes 3. First thing is this. I'll give us two questions to think. Do we recognize that the frustrations we have in life comes from the eternity that we are aware of. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. The frustrations that you have in life comes from the eternity that's placed in our hearts, but we cannot deal with it. That is the frustration. And the second thing is, this frustration is meant to lead us to recognize there is a God who is in eternity and He will be the judge and we will be judged. So if that is the case, as Christians or non-Christians, will we judge God when we do not understand? Or will we wait for Him to reveal what is timely in His time? Well, there are more chapters to go and with the teacher, but to close today, I just want to invite you just a short moment to get a better glimpse of God, the Master of Time. Just a slight glimpse of God, the Master of Time, that the, the author of Ecclesiastes cannot see. 
in his time. So much so, this is how he ends chapter 3. He says, Who can bring us to see what will happen after us? Who can bring us to see what will happen after us? That's his frustration in his time. Perhaps it's yours. But to catch a glimpse of the God who is the master of time, there is a place that we can see it. There's a place in history when God in eternity comes in to our time. And whatever He does in that moment, He opens up an avenue so that we in our time, in our frustration for eternity, will find eternity to be realized when we come to God. Let me say that again. There's this moment in time where the God of eternity, the master of time, enters from eternity into our time and whatever he has done at that point allows us who lives in time and frustrated with eternity have access to him so that our temporal but longing for eternity becomes a reality. Do you, do you, want, to, do you want to know where it comes from? Well, in fact, you have read it just now in Galatians 4 uh, and I just want to read that two verses for us again. You have read it, but let me read back to you in this Galatians 4, 4-5. But when the set time have fully come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, dear friends, what a teacher could only vaguely see about God's way, God reveals it in the New Testament so that we have a possibility to remove the disgruntled rebellious we have against the God and come to Him for forgiveness. And this is how it happens in Galatians 4 explains this to us and so do other uh, the gospel passage tells us God's son Jesus he comes from eternity into our time born as a man by a woman and he throughout his ministry is the only one in history that maneuvers time however he likes Jesus comes in he goes around someone who's dead has passed his time he wakes them up pulls them back from time so that he can live again Jesus in his three years of ministry, that's what he does. He walks around and says, it's not time yet, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. And suddenly, three and a half years time, he says, it's time now, I'm going in, they're going to kill me, three days later I'm going to resurrect. He went in, he died, three days later he resurrected. He's the only one in our time that maneuvers time the way that God does. And when he does that, he says this, and I've come to redeem you. And if you come to me humbly, if you recognize your mortal, you recognize that you need to repent and turn to God. If you come to me, I will redeem you. And your longing for eternity will become a reality. Your longing for eternity that you cannot get by yourselves, I will make it a reality. Now, there are more passages in the Bible. We have run out of time today. I meant to laugh here, but it doesn't have to laugh. But I hope that this short time that we have been working really hard, mind-boggling, is a worthwhile time for you and me. That this short time we have been here sitting is a time, if you are not in eternity, that you will make a decision. So that this temporal time that you have listened and engaged with God's Word becomes the time where your longing for, re- for eternity is not a fantasy. But your longing for eternity becomes a reality when Jesus in his own time comes back for us. So that, let, let us close this time and ask the Lord to make uh, 
our time fruitful. Let's pray. Dear Father, our time is up today as we engage with Ecclesiastes 3. But I pray God that you will graciously reveal to us and bring us into eternity at your set time. Father, we thank you that we are given eternity in our hearts. We thank you even for the frustrations that we cannot comprehend so that we will learn to fear you and come to you humbly to say that we are not gods, but you are. Father, help us not to waste this life that we have, but rather to grow in maturity so that we recognize more and more how big and grand you are and how small we are. Help us to realize we are not masters of our lives because we will die just like animals. But if we come to our true master, we've come to Jesus, that our sins will be forgiven because it's paid for our wickedness. And the day will come where our longing for eternity becomes a reality. So be with us, Father, and make our time fruitful. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.